I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we start off with the Week in Review, what sort of TV shows and movies we've been watching since the last episode. Then we move into the main event, which is either a main review or a topic of discussion, before finishing up with Film Faves, the third segment, which is our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. In this episode, the main event will be a review of the, I think, triple F-rated film, definitely F-rated film, Hustlers. And in Film Faves, we're going to continue the F-rated theme with our favorite F-rated movies of the decade. I feel like we need wrestling music in the background for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) More on F-rated later in the episode, but first, we have a few things to go over in the week in review, starting with you, Shanna. Last episode, you had teased how you were working your way through the third season of Handmaid's Tale, I trust you had finished that since the last episode. What can you tell us about it? That was a good season. That was my favorite season. I would totally be cool watching that season again. I actually was tempted to just start it over again because there were times where I was like, oh my god, what's going to happen? Because it's obviously it's very tense. I think watching it again will help ease that part of me and just enjoy it. Because it was that kind of a season. Mm. This It still feels like the kind of show where I have to watch it by myself first. And I'm slowly getting warmed up to the idea of watching it with you. Oh. For my, for my second time. For your second time. Okay. Yeah. And I might be able to actually see The Handmaid's Tale for once. Obviously, everyone's performances are great. The cast is... You know, everybody's getting more screen time now, more evenly, Mm. as opposed to at first it was mostly Elizabeth Moss's character getting most of the screen time. Okay. But now it's fairly equal, and I'm pretty excited about it. So, yeah. Awesome. No uh, sense of this thing running out of steam. It's uh, going full charge into a... All, uh, There's a lot of theories online about how they want thing, how people want things to go in the next season, uh-huh. and the direction that they're going in is just fascinating because I I don't think they're going to run out of stuff. You're never sure which each what each season's going to do or accomplish, mm. so you don't know if it's going to be the last season or not. Mm. So there's like this extra layer of tension, mm. but I feel like they could probably get away with another three seasons Ooh. if that wow um it's intense to watch of course mm-hmm. but there's always going to be shit going on in the world and what tends to happen with the handmaid's tale whether they intend for it or not there's things that they'll they'll be showing that has one would think some commentary to what's happening now mm-hmm. so you know separating families at the border Uh, It was as if you could see that in the season. And what's great about it is it's not necessarily their intention. Because of the timing? They're not trying to be obvious about it. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Cool. Well, it sounds like there's a high rewatchability factor in the series, which is great for a serial, and it sounds like it's going strong, that Handmaid's Tale. I'm glad to hear that. Fantastic. So that's Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. And I think that was everything for your week in review. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Okay. So I saw a couple things I'd like to spend a couple minutes talking about. First, he's bringing out the book, guys. Yeah, my notes. I'm <laughs> going to cons- some notes. Yeah, make sure I'm not forgetting my notes. I saw a film from this year called *Brightburn*, which is produced by James Gunn, uh, directed by an unknown to me, starring Elizabeth Banks and a couple other people that aren't as well known. The idea, the pitch of the film is. What if Superman crash-landed in a farm, you know, had the whole mom and pa Kent thing, but once his powers started developing, he actually turned evil. And that mom and pa Kent influence did nothing, you know, had no effect on them. Oh, so it's not like they were bad people. No, right. Okay. That's, and and so it's kind of a horror take on the uh, superhero origin thing. With the Superman archetype idea, uh, this film, as a result, is very creepy, very disturbing, occasionally quite gory. I, I've noted how squeamish I'm becoming if I'm seeing a horror film for the first time. I'm aware that a character has the ability to punch through walls, to fly has oh you know laser eyesight can go super fast so i'm aware of what this person's capable of and what they're capable of is very unpleasant so the whole time i'm like worried what am i going to be subjected to here and there are a couple gory scenes a person's jaw being knocked off and he tries to put it back he uh, tries to put it back. Yeah, you know. Oh, he's still alive and okay. tries to put his job. Oh, another person has glass in their eye and it really lingers on the person pulling the glass out of their eye kind of thing. So there's there's some gory stuff in this movie. The thing is, the overall movie is okay. Its execution is not as cool as the concept sounds. As a matter of fact, there is a 45-second tease at the end during the credits that is more fascinating than most of the actual film. So it's ultimately an okay film. I give it like, you know, probably a 5 out of 10. It's not terrible, but it's not like as awesome as the premise kind of promises, you know? Well, when you said that, I thought, oh, well, maybe it's way alternate, like Mon Pa are bad people, and that influences him. So that's it. So what's influencing him, though, to be bad? Uh, he actually, essentially, his, his, his ship of origin becomes the source of his evil, more or less. So... So was it like, I don't wanna, laced like with red kryptonite? Like what? Well, remember, we're only talking about the archetype of Superman here. It's not literally Superman, uh, right? Okay. All right? You know. All right. But I don't want to go into too much more detail out of fear of spoiling it for people who haven't seen it. That might be interested. Horror hounds 
comic geeks that are interested in a new spin on the whole superhero genre. You know, it's a curiosity, but I would say it's not as awesome as it could have been. Uh, and and there is a 45-second tease at the end that is way cooler, and I don't know that they'll ever be able to pay off on it, but we'll see. So that's Brightburn from this year. So I got to show the 1925 Charlie Chaplin film Gold Rush to a friend of mine, and... It was really interesting because I got to um, do some Charlie Chaplin research, too. So first of all, Gold Rush, in case you're not familiar, which a lot of people aren't because, uh, you know, it's almost 100 years old. It's essentially about Charlie Chaplin's tramp-type figure, his persona, going up into the Gold Rush, trying to strike gold. He comes across a couple people out there in the middle of nowhere in this frozen tundra, and they're starving it's about survival but he also does like have a he does have a romance with with a young lady back in town as as near a town as there is it is considered one of the greatest comedies of all time it has some very famous comedic set pieces like a shack that is teetering back and forth on a cliff is this the potato dance the, the, the it's not potatoes it's rolls i was about to say oh. the bread roll dance i thought that was always funny yeah uh there's a couple other things the physical comedy is always remarkable for me though of of the charlie chaplin films i have seen this is uh, not his best because i feel like the story is at its best when we're following chaplin mostly when we're following Chaplin, you know, the first third especially, out in the middle of nowhere and what happens, all the antics that happens there. When it goes to this detour with the love story, I feel like it's kind of, it is a detour that, like, creates about 20 minutes of story that isn't as interesting. But at the same time, without that story, you don't really have an end, considering how this film ends. So, you know, it's a catch-22 sort of thing but i was looking up chaplin i've seen a few of his films it turns out the surprising thing is the dude's known for all these short film or uh silent films but it turns out he's only made 12 full features right i have seen like six of those full features so there's five i've yet to see he's made 73 short films 35 of which were in 1914, 14 of which were in 1915. So most of his short films were made in the first two years of his work. Uh, in 1915, his, his tramp persona was debuted, so which is kind of interesting. Um, and then he came back to it three years later in a, uh, in a, film, a short film called A Dog's Life. Basically, his first full-length feature, which isn't really considered full length today because it's 45 minutes long was 1918's shoulder arms where he plays a world war one doughboy uh the first earliest film i've seen is his his was considered his second but is basically his first actual full length feature uh the kid which shanna you've seen as well mm-hmm. a couple years back I basically have seen the Gold Rush City Lights, Modern Times, Great Dictator, and his talking film. Great Dictator was his first talking film. Limelight was one of his kind of later ones. 
I haven't seen The Circus, The Pilgrim before that, Monsieur Vaudeau, Akina in New York, and A Countess from Hong Kong, which is a film that starred Marlon Brando. It was his last film, 1967, rumored to be his worst film ever. But you might end up hearing me, because of this research I did, you might hear me in future episodes, maybe next year or something, trying to catch up with some of these uh, Chaplin films I haven't seen, especially since there's so few full-length features. I... I'm surprised you haven't seen all of them. Well, I'm surprised that there's only 12. I really thought that there was way more. I think my favorite one is, is it Modern Times when he sings? That's funny you that say that. That is my favorite. That is my favorite as well. And then second to that is probably City Lights and then Limelight and, uh, and then The Kid and probably The Great Dictator then Gold Rush. But uh, all of them, really, you'd be hard-pressed to go wrong with any Chaplin film. I don't know if they're available on stream. They might be available to rent on Amazon, but I recommend hunting them down if you can. So that is 1925's Gold Rush. Next, I showed my son the Bourne trilogy from last decade, starring Matt Damon. That was really interesting, too, because, you know, the Bourne identity has, or the Bourne trilogy has a reputation as being this action trilogy that was hugely influential, you know, the spy film, very, very different spy film and all this. And I watched it and I realized there's like two, maybe three actual action scenes in each movie. Like this is definitely not an example of having an action beat every 10 minutes. Although I think the second one does have like an action beat where he's fighting another assassin in in the assassin's home. That actually feels like, okay, we need an action beat here. So let's make up a reason why this assassin would actually try to kill Bourne. But largely, it's able to be a very kinetic and, and nuanced and interesting series and not quite adhere to its reputation that it became of this hugely influential action Doug Lyman directed the first film. He directed one of my favorite movies, Edge of Tomorrow, later on. And then Paul Greengrass directed the sequels, the first two sequels, Born Supremacy and Born Ultimatum. Uh, he also directed the incredibly powerful United 93 in 2006, which I think is the only reason why there's like a three-year gap between all, uh, Supremacy and Ultimatum. Uh, it's greatly beneficial to watch these films as close together as possible because it really is like a continuing story. Like, three immediately follows after two, first of all. Like, they're kind of one story. And then you could say the first film, Born Identity, is its own film where, like, he's quit the program, he's made his himself very clear, he went off, uh, with Franco Potente, you know, and he's living the life. The only reason why there's a sequel is because someone comes to kill him. Someone finds him and tries to kill him uh, after the first film. So I think it's really fascinating. I haven't seen these movies in a long time. But Shanna, you're not a big fan of the Bourne trilogy, are you? No. No, I'm really glad that you showed our son it while I was not here. I'm not a big fan of this franchise. I feel like there was a lot of hype about it. There wasn't enough 
uh, let it breathe kind of thing. Mm. I felt like it's also a different time, right? When these films were made. Yeah. And all of a sudden there was sequel upon sequel upon sequel. And back then Mm. it was like, if you had sequel upon sequel upon sequel, you were trying to rake in as much cash as possible before, before um, interest ran out. It's not like what it is now where it's Avengers and they're setting up storylines and it's a more conscious approach. Yeah. Comparatively. So I'm not into that. (laughs) Well, I totally hear what you're saying, but the interesting thing is usually when they're doing that, it's very like mm, episodic. Each film is its own thing. Whereas this one, for the most part, like the sequels anyway, are a continuing uh, story, less episodic. Yeah, and I I know that they did try making a spinoff with Jeremy Renner, and then they came, they brought Matt Damon back for a, a, technically a fourth film for him. None of those went anywhere. Apparently, they're considered the worst of the series, um, which I'm not surprised by because really, like the trilogy is the trilogy, and they're they're very solid films and. Really, anything beyond that is kind of just running it into the ground. So, I still think that the Bourne trilogy is very solid, and I highly recommend them if you can. If you can get the box set, you get like hours of extra features too. So that's the Bourne trilogy: Identity, Supremacy, Ultimatum. And a really good trivia question for our cinephiles is: What is the real name of the main character in the Bourne Ultimatum? See how many of your friends get that right. Anyway, uh, moving right along, Shannon, you and I saw a couple things to talk about. Catching up with this year, both having to do with music in some way from the 70s, actually, largely. One was a favorite of ours, and another, well, we'll see. The first film we'll talk about is Grundachada's Blinded by the Light, Mm -hmm. which is an English set film during the Thatcher era, uh, Margaret Thatcher era, about a a Pakistani teen who is, he wants to be a writer, and a friend of his introduces him to Bruce Springsteen's music. Springsteen come out with a couple albums in the 70s and a couple albums in the 80s at that point. I think maybe three albums in the 80s. And that music changes his life. This is a big wet kiss to Bruce Springsteen's music. But Shanna, did it prove to be a whole lot more for you? I think this was just really a fun movie. I had a lot of fun with it. I laughed a lot. I felt a few things, you know, it's, it's, it's another teenager movie and it's kind of nice that it's a boy teenager who isn't all about chasing girls. Mm. He's kind of just trying to figure himself out, make his dream work and also respect his family and kind of bring his culture into the conversation through his writing. And so I find it really interesting in that way i think it's really special in that way there's nothing jaw-droppingly insane about this film but i think it's just a really nice film that we get to enjoy Mm. and um you know we see this in the trailer but i 
I find it fascinating because I can totally relate to it when you know he's coming to the United States he's able to come to the United States and he gets to see Bruce Springsteen's home mm-hmm. and just really like I mean that's like ultimate fan dream accomplished right sure. you yeah. get to see where the person is that you admire and mm-hmm. you know where they've been and um, <laughs> like border patrol is totally different to what it is now but he's like he's like asking why are you here because that's what they do and he says he's gonna see Bruce Springsteen's home and this guy who's the officer who looks really stern just completely lights up and that's kind of what's cool about this film is it shows how Bruce Springsteen has this power to light everyone up a little bit yeah it doesn't matter who you are yeah so I found that you know, there's this magic quality to it. Yeah, it definitely is magical. I think that there is, this is, I, first of all, I'll say this is Gurren Lagann's best film. Oh. I, of, of all the films of her career, I think there's maybe one we haven't seen, maybe two of the most that we haven't seen, I haven't seen of her career anyway. It It's close to Bend It Like Beckham in the sense that you have the family conflict of someone who's trying to pursue their passion. But it, you know that's a much more of a, a bubbly energetic fun film this one is a little more serious like the dad who objects in this case is not played for laughs it's a lot more dramatic and he you know he a lot more serious yeah and he's actually there's more to him as well you see what his struggles are so you can kind of understand where he's coming from while also understanding his own hypocrisy, which uh, I find very interesting. And on top of it, it t- Chada touches by using this Thatcher era. She touches on this idea that, first of all, it, it brings about things that are very similar to what we've seen the past couple years from our own country. And it's a... And how society has responded. And it brings about this idea of yesterday is no different from today. There are still people completely different from you who love the same things as you. There is a universality that connects us all and it transcends time even. And I think that that's really kind of an unexpected and beautiful thing for the film to you know, go so far as to include. Mm. There's a lot of other things in this. There's there's great musical sequences. There's absolutely joyful musical sequences. There are songs that like really like it's cutting to him and that's to his heart, you know, and it's conveyed very well by actually displaying the lyrics, you know. So you get both the people who retain by listening, but also you get the the people, the audience who retains well by by seeing, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's connected this is to the a audience. very helpful movie for me. <laughs> yeah, see, with uh, lyrics because sometimes I can't hear lyrics, mm-hmm. and it's it's not because there's something wrong with my hearing. It's just I'm having a hard time hearing words and the music. Yeah, being played. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're both in agreement that we love "Blinded by the Light." Maybe me a little bit more than you. Is that fair to say? I mean, maybe yeah. I would give it an 8 out of 10, I think. You, Shanna? Uh, probably like a 7. Mm-hmm. Okay. One last movie we saw. Rocket Man, starring Taron Egerton, 
directed by Dexter Fletcher, who finished Bohemian Rhapsody. This is about Elton John and his career and his music. Shanna, we were very hopeful from this, being a f- huge fans of Bohemian Rhapsody, having the guy who helped out with that doing his own full thing. We knew that this was going to be a kind of a magical musical in some ways, a little bit unconventional in in how it um, uses the songs. Plus, I don't know about you, Shanna, but I have a great affinity for Elton John's 70s work. I think that's his best work, and he made a lot of great songs that I love. 88%, by the way, on Rotten Tomatoes also. How can we go wrong with this film? How can it not be one of the best movies of the year and one of our favorites? Shanna, what did you think of Rocket Man? I thought it was a beautiful film visually. I mean, it was just, it was so rich in what they were showing us. Um, it makes me very excited for all the professional dancers that must have been hired for this film because I did dancing for a while and I'm just really happy that people got hired for their dancing. I'm kind of just as confused as he is in the film. <laughs> I was like, I feel like... I feel like this film is trying to be a rich tapestry, okay. but I didn't know enough about Elton John to put all the subtle things together. What I ended up doing was looking on Wikipedia to learn more about him. And as that was happening, there'd be something that would happen in the background. And I say, Oh, that's in relation to blah, 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 honey. Mm. And then you were like, Oh, I never knew that. So it's definitely not a film to learn about him as much as we learn about Freddie Mercury and Queen and and from Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody. This is more of a ride, you know, Mm. hop on the ride and enjoy it. Uh, You certainly learn about the effect of uh, drugs because visually they're, what they're doing is they're having him miss pieces of chunks of time Mm. where when he is conscious and sober, he's like, what the fuck just happened? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in between that, there's beautiful dance sequences that are expressing what he's going through. And it also shows very well what can happen if you're on the music industry hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the most important things you said was, this is not a movie to learn about Elton John. Yeah. And this is an Elton John biopic. And I was actually appalled by how much I dislike this movie. I actually think it's the worst film I've seen this year. <laughs> okay. I went to it expecting to love this movie. I mean, it was teed up for me to love this thing. But look, you're right. It is visually like Dexter Fletcher has the song and dance razzle dazzle down on musicals, right? Like it achieves that part of it. Taron Edgerton far surpassed my expectations. He is a fantastic in this film. I think, yeah, performances were really good. Especially Taron Edgerton. Like I didn't expect him to be as good as he is. He scenes in this movie and you can hear I think successfully he's trying to emulate Elton John's voice as best as he can, his singing style. Taron's great, but my problem with the movie is 
it plays very fast and loose with the song chronology. It gets mm. ve- as a result, it gets very confusing about the timeline in the film, where things are, when things are. There's certain musical cues that feel kind of frivolous. Like Saturday Night is all right for fighting is probably the most egregious where I'm literally wondering as it's going, what is the purpose of this song and and, and, and the segment? The only thing I could think about was like, it was showing where he grew up, like what he was surrounded by. That's the only thing I can think about because there's like a bit of this kind of music, that kind of music happening. Well, yeah, it changes the song too, right? Adding certain flavors to it. And I just don't think it was enough, you know? I think you're absolutely right. The biggest problem with the movie is that it is hard to really get a good understanding of his life. It is a superficial sense. You know, you get an idea of who of Elton John, but you don't get a good understanding of his life um, like a more conventional biopic would. And it's very frustrating as a result. And and you know there is one scene where they use a song way out of chronology. It's a song I want love, I believe it's called. Uh, it came out in like the 2000s. They use that song to depict in a way how certain characters are feeling, mm. his parental characters and stuff. And I was thinking, oh, okay, that's the direction we're going to go here. It happens very early in the movie. And really, it doesn't end up really doing that that well. It's just... Because wasn't that like the the start of it? Oh, no. Candle in the Wind was like almost like his interview into getting a label. Uh, He played on the piano very briefly. And I thought, I thought, oh, we're going to see where the songs stemmed from. Right. Which I was like, that could be really cool because... You know, artwork is very, it doesn't have a specific time generally. Right. It, it took a while to develop, you know. So I thought that None was going to be cool. But then, no, we didn't None get what that. we thought we were getting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, oh, and I'll say really quickly to wrap before I wrap up that the third act, there's a third act therapy scene that is so on the nose. It feels like a parody of a biopic. I just, I just could not believe how bad what I was watching was uh, in front of me. Yes, you were very upset about that. So greatly disappointed by Rocket Man. Maybe give it a 4 out of 10. Just uh, for yeah. the visuals and Taron Edgerton's performance alone. But you liked it more? No. No? No. I had hopes for it. Okay. I think that's what you're confusing with. Okay. My did I like it more than you? No, I just had hopes for it. Yeah, yeah, we both did. We both did. Yeah. So you'd rate it about the same then? Yep. All right, so that's Rocket Man. Unfortunately, a huge disappointment for us. Moving right along. That ends the weekend review. Now it's time for the main event and our review of Hustlers. You know Diamond from the Bronx, right? What's up, baby? We're going to help her learn how to do a, a real dance. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm good at that. Turn with you guys. I don't want to be dependent on anybody. I just want to be able to take care of my grandma, maybe go shopping every once in a while. Woo! These Wall Street guys. You want them drunk enough to get their credit card? Yellow cat. 
but sober enough to sign a check. All I really want to see is that. Please help! It's my husband! I was born a flex. Yes! Diamonds on my neck. Yes, I like more than checks. I like more than sex. We didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I like more than checks. Is he dead? <laughs> Tony wouldn't let this happen. I'm gonna text him. Who gave her her phone back? Are you in? And that was from the trailer to Hustlers, written and directed by Lorraine Scafaria, starring Jennifer Lopez, Constance Wu, and for a little bit, Cardi B and Lizzo, and also Lily Reinhardt. When we do a review on The Movie Lovers, what we like to do is start with the good, what we liked about a movie, what worked for us about a movie, moving on to the bad, what didn't work for us, what sort of flaws there were, what what, what was bad about a movie. Before we finish up with a spoiler discussion and final thoughts. Now, Hustlers is about a real-life story that occurred post-recession where a group of strippers decided to hustle clients who worked on Wall Street and as far as they could tell they had taken advantage of the American people so they're going to take advantage of the Wall Street guys and live comfortably doing so. So Shanna, this is our F-rated episode. This is a triple F-rated film. Uh, Lorraine Scafaria had done Seeking a Friend for the End of the World before, which I think both of us had seen. Have you seen that one? I have not seen that. Oh, you have not seen that. Okay, so in this case, uh, what sort of anticipation did you have coming into Hustlers, and what did you like about it? So I had not been exposed to any advertising for this film, which I was kind of sad about, because when I started watching the film, I was like, oh! Am I supposed to watch this with my girls? So I really liked this film. I had a good time with it. I had a few laughs. I had a few shocking moments. So it was really fun. Oh, okay. I loved that this film was about friendship. I loved that it was a pointing out how difficult finances are. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where she's working at Old Navy and... She being which... Uh... Oh, Jennifer Lopez's... Mm-hmm character is working at Old Navy and isn't making enough because she's probably working minimum wage Mm. and she doesn't have a sitter for her kid and the manager just says well you should work harder Mm -hmm. you should work longer you'll have more money and that's that's simply not the case like Mm -hmm. why should someone work longer and harder just to be away from their kid right to give it you know to give it all away Mm -hmm. so I'm really glad that they tackled that. There's a couple other things that are really subtle that they tackle uh, with regards to the financial situation. And I really love the luxuriousness of everything that these women were investing in to, you know, look amazing and look worth what they were charging. It was really beautiful and very luscious. And I also love that this wasn't very male gazy. You could totally tell that a woman was directing, a woman was writing, mm. and it didn't make me it didn't make me upset at all. If it had been male gazy, I would have been upset. Um, I have a lot of 
I'm I'm saying that the content is not upsetting. I'm not upset that it's a stripper movie. Mm. Uh, I mean, a movie featuring strippers. I have a lot of friends on Facebook that post about their pole fitness journey. And these girls are so strong, like six months later. And so seeing all these techniques that they were doing in the film, I had a lot of appreci- I had a lot of appreciation for them. So that's ge- generally I had a good time. How about you? Well, I think you hit on a lot of really I think you hit on a lot of the strengths of the film. If I understand correctly, you're saying that you didn't find the basic story upsetting primarily because of the execution. Yeah, I feel like if it had been executed differently, i.e. from a man's perspective, I I don't think I would have been happy with this film. Mm -hmm. So I feel it's very important to mention that it's important that it was written and directed by women. And I can understand why you'd say that, because one of the impressive things about this film is how it is a film about strippers, yet there is hardly any nudity in it at all and it it doesn't really luxuriate and like bathe itself in the stripperness of the story you know i feel like if this was a story told 20 years ago it would be very different in how it's told there would be a lot more female nudity there would be probably full female nudity there would be a lot of a lot of focus on the moves and close-ups on the moves of the stripper trying to stimulate the audience you know and i feel like for the most part the way the strip bean is used in this film is is really more like in terms of them developing a skill to be able to work their clients you know, to be able to try to get as much money as possible, to get them to pay more. Yeah, it's definitely, as, you know, Jennifer Lopez puts it, it's a business transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another character is trying to calm her boyfriend down who comes to the club to try and make her quit. And she's like, this means nothing. Like, these mm-hmm. interactions mean nothing to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it fascinating. That's an interesting example because I think like the I get the sense that this movie was fairly well researched in the sense that there's probably little things that you see in this film that a lot of uh, women experience the jealous boyfriend, the financial instability, this bringing some degree of stability, the fact that they have to pay out a lot of their earnings to people in order to function in different ways in the club i think those little nuances are are nice touches in the film as well as the fact that largely this film isn't so much about the crime it's about female friendships and what these incidents what the what what transpires how that affects these female friendships and and loyalty and all these other things, you know? What are your thoughts on the friendship aspect of the film? I thought that it was a very interesting insight into the friendship. You know, friendships are so hard to start as you get older, it seems like. 
And there's this scene where Constance Wu's character is watching Jennifer Lopez perform and she is just in awe of her strength mm. and confidence. Mm. And she's Jennifer Lopez is taking a break up, you know, on the roof. And she's wearing this fur coat and Constance comes up and is trying to chat with her about her technique, about her way of being. Because mm. she has just started at this club. Mm-hmm. And she says, where is your coat? And she says, well, she didn't bring one. And she takes her literally under her wing by wrapping her up in her coat with her. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of the, their, fr- their friendship. Yeah, and I just thought there was something really beautiful about that. Then there's another, like, to just invite someone in and like, okay, yes, I'll teach you. And then the teacher begins. And then another friend gets involved at the club and Mm -hmm. starts teaching other techniques. And then another friend, you know, Usher comes into the club and she goes backstage and she calls all the girls to come out because they're all going to benefit, you know. So there's a lot of... Not to mention it's probably exciting for them to also be able to meet Usher. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And so I just found it all very interesting and as the film progresses there's you're not just seeing you're not just seeing jennifer lopez a constant woo's friendship mm-hmm. you're seeing everybody else's else's interactions with them too yeah and that that adds a lot of variety and layers particularly in the first half of the movie yeah. that's especially true and then i have i i guess i have more to say in spoilers about the friendship because i don't want to spoil anything yeah even though yeah. it's based on reality sure right okay well, then let's let's move on uh, to... Oh, actually, before we move on, I want to say Constance Wu is a strength of this film. Oh, she's she amazing. Is, a lot of the attention is being given to Jennifer Lopez, I think largely because the media likes to focus on the fact that she's 50 years old, but uh, there's a lot more attention on Jennifer Lopez in the press for this than Constance Wu. And Jennifer Lopez is actually a strength of this film. This is probably... One of, if not her best performance ever in her career. But Constance Wu deserves attention too. I think this might be her first dramatic performance, at least that I'm aware of. And she is really good in this. She's the rock of this film. She is the main character. So I don't think we should overlook the praise that she's deserving too. And also Cardi B is in the film, and she's very entertaining uh, as well. So let's move on, though, unless you have anything else to add, uh, into what didn't work for us, the bad. Oh, um, well, I don't think I really had anything bad to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've just watched the film. I haven't really had any time to process what I didn't like. I, I was pretty much happy with what I was watching, did you have something? Largely, no. This is one of those movies where you have a lot to you can talk about a lot, and there is something in spoilers that I could address uh, or I, I will address. But largely, this is a, a very well-made film, a huge step forward for Lorraine Scafaria, who I have seen her one of her two previous films. It was not that great. This is very good and one of the 10 best films I've seen so far this year. 
So yeah, not not a lot to really nitpick or criticize. Uh, I think it's overall a pretty solid, pretty solid film. Shall we go into spoilers? Sure. Okay, so for those who haven't seen Hustlers yet, it sounds like we both uh, recommend it quite highly. Yeah. Yeah, and bring your girlfriends along. There's a lot of fun, really fun lines. Mm, absolutely. And what would you score this out of ten? Maybe a seven. A seven. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I because I might, I I'm might score an eight between seven and eight. Yeah, but... yeah, I am too, but I'm not really sure. Like, what would keep me from giving it an eight? You know. Um, but let's get into it with spoilers for Hustlers. If you haven't seen the film, skip ahead about 10-15 minutes to film faves, starting right now. All right, Shanna, I'm going to let you go first. Why don't you talk about whatever you wanted to address that's uh, in spoilers? Well, okay. I love how, you know, we know that Constance Wu and Jennifer Lopez, they don't end on the best terms. Because, I mean, this game has to end at some point. Mm. And she takes the... Constance takes the, the deal. Offered by the cops. She, yeah, she tells Jennifer, Jennifer. Because they do get arrested. Yeah, Jennifer gives her a hug and, and essentially, like, she gets it. And she walks away. And... At first she's not... She doesn't. At first she's very mad. She feels like she's been betrayed. Or that Constance... Her character, Destiny, has uh, made a very stupid decision. But she ends up hugging her because Destiny says that she did it for her daughter. Yeah. And she's a mom, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, usually when female friendships end out of something very hurtful, there's just a lot of bitterness there, and you're never really sure how the other person feels. Uh, sometimes you can hear through the grapevine how they feel, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's true anyway. So anyone that's had a friendship end knows what this is like. Mm. And there's a lot of truth in when Julia Stiles is talking to Constance, the journalist, Julia mm-hmm. Stiles, is mm-hmm. talking to her about the experience. And Constance gets a little defensive when... It's like, well, what happened to you guys? When Julia... A little defensive. She kicks her out. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's this really nice like film technique of totally shutting the sound off. Yeah. Nice little reset. Yeah. There's a couple touches like that. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's why it should get an 8 out of 10. Anyway, then the article gets published and Constance been th- has been thinking and she phones Julia again and says, what did Jennifer say about me? And it was all good things. Mm. And that never happens. Mm. And there's a lot of tears and it's very emotional. And I just, I thought that that was really a beautiful touch about friendship, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there's also, you know, the, the theme of like selfishness in friendships. Like the uh, one character is, is named Dawn and she's got red hair. She's from Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yeah, Tale, mm-hmm. yep. um, Which I was super excited to see her because I'm like, I think she's great in Handmaid's Tale. I forget her name. I'll look it but up. But she's kind of this representation of selfish. And, you know, her relationship with Jennifer is like this example of, you know, you just need a hustle. And it kind of loses that quality in life. So I thought that that was all interesting. There's also this, this opportunity on this platform 
telling a story about strippers, maybe something that strippers want you to know is that uh, we're, we're exhausted. We work six days a week. It's not easy work. And that gets expressed. And that's, uh, I think, I appreciate that a lot. I mean, the one line is, I just want to go home to essentially my buddy ice cream and <laughs> chill on the couch. And uh, that's what it's like when you're working six days a week, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's all these honest little conversations that are happening. And I also like that, you know, they show 2008 and I was like, oh, shit. And that's the financial crisis and people stop spending money like they used to. And so there's this change in the club where people aren't willing to share tips, aren't willing to help each other, aren't willing to be nice to each other even. And I really appreciated that contrast showing, you know, how money affects things. Mm. And it's not even like, a, oh, I'm not earning as much as you money thing. It's a, oh, life has changed. And, uh, I have um, that actress's name. Her name is Madeline Brewer, and she was in Handmaid's Tale, as well as apparently a part in Orange is the New Black. She's done Black Mirror and a few other things as well. I really like that actress. I I hope she gets to be in more stuff, especially now, you know, heading the third season of Handmaid's Tale. She's also in Grimm, which isn't that a show that you watched? Yeah. Yeah. How many episodes? One? Uh, she played Billy Trump. If she's just in like one episode, that's not helpful yeah, for me. It's like a season. Anyway, uh, very good. Yeah, for me, uh, kind of jumping off of part of that point about the friendship, the only thing that when I started thinking about it was Constance Wu's character, Destiny, she starts getting really jaded and cynical in her attitude towards jennifer lopez's ramona when she's talking to the interviewer she's like oh she was just out for herself oh she's probably didn't even care she probably said nasty things about me and i never really got a sense as to why what would lead her to that place where she would assume that ramona would have nothing but nasty things to say about her especially since the last time they saw each other like Ramona hugged her and stuff, you know, it was like this very warm embrace. So that, you know, that is one thing that is very minor, but I didn't quite understand that. And I, I, Do you I think hear it's maybe because you're a man. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not like I'm immune to having relationships fall apart or things, things affect relationships. Yeah, but, but, if, but isn't it usually generally with men, they don't talk shit about each other or do they talk so much shit about each other that we don't even know? I think it really depends because okay. yes, that, that does exist. But, uh, but yeah, so that's the only thing, again, it's very minor, but that's the only thing I could uh, think of that when I thought about it, when I started talking it out, I was like, Hmm, why would, why, why is she like that in the first place? But, uh, I was. It's worth mentioning. First of all, Mercedes Rule is in this film. Very surprising to see Mercedes Rule. I haven't seen her in, I don't know, maybe decades. I know she's been doing a lot of Broadway stuff. Uh, it's great to see her. Cardi B is a delight and a lot of fun in this film, but I was surprised that she's not in the film very long. Uh, I thought that she would be a bigger supporting player. And because I loved seeing her, the press, yeah, I did too. I the press and everything 
make sure they mention Cardi B's in the film. They make sure they mention Lizzo's in the film. Lizzo has a, a less a less substantial role than Cardi B even does. Uh, Lizzo is actually the person in question that you brought up who announces that Usher's there. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm saying I enjoy the cast and there's certain players that I wish I saw more of in this film. But the story, the, what, the way it's directed, the direction that it goes, the fact that it does things that other movies of this kind might not have done, might not have been handled the same way, you know, and maybe we're beholden to what actually happened. It seems like the script is beholden to what actually happened and doesn't embellish really or go off the reservation too much, so to speak, on what actually happened to sensationalize things. It does feel kind of like real in a way. It doesn't feel outlandish. And that's, I think, to to the writer and director's credit. Uh, I think mostly it's impressive how this movie, or it's interesting how this movie is really less about the crime that it, that makes up the plot of the film and more about female friendships and female friendships through work and how people how women try to take care of each other when when they have an affinity toward each other uh, and that's really something that's really sold or hit home in the film through Jennifer Lopez's character in particular oh it's also worth noting this movie at no point, addresses jennifer lopez's age the press and the media is addressing jennifer lopez's age how she's over 50 or whatever and doing what she does particularly i think she only has like one actual stripper scene like pole dance scene but that's being talked about a lot but the movie doesn't address it at all which i think is really interesting because we'll be writing it <laughs> woman is writing and, it yeah. and directing it it's like it's you're a woman trying to... The story is you're a woman trying to provide. Mm-hmm. You're trying to make a living. You're trying to you're trying to live a life that you want to live. With a nice apartment, with full window light, and white couch, and awesome Christmas party, you know? Yeah. It's interesting to me because I think of Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler, which starred Marissa Tomei as like a 50-something, or at least 40-something stripper, and how she's dealing with rejection a lot. Like she's considered too old by the clients and stuff. And you don't see any of that here. In fact, men want to throw their money at Ramona. And they're both, in both cases, they're both mothers, right? Trying to provide. And I don't know really what to attribute that to, you know, but I found it interesting. I, I don't really have anything to say in response to it. I, I can't really... Uh, Have you seen The Wrestler? No. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So I, I, I can't really contribute to what you're saying. Really strong film. Actually, I, it's worth rewatching. I think it's 11 years now. Oh, old now. At any rate, do you have anything else you want to add in terms of thoughts to The Hustlers? I think it was a really fun film, and grab your girls, go out for a movie night. I think it is a little more of a serious film than some people may expect. But a very strong story, a very good entry point into the awards season, the fall season, really. And it's worth checking out. I'm going to be curious to see what kind of people flock to this film, what kind of numbers it does financially. Uh, We just saw it on opening weekend. 
But we we both recommend you do check this film out. And it is the kind of film that's worth supporting. So that's Hustlers by Lorraine Scafaria. What do you think of the film? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. And now it's time for Film Faves. For those of you who are not familiar, Film film Faves is based on a segment that was on the blog, The Gibson Review, wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. We did 12 movies instead of 5 or 10 because typically those other lists have honorable mentions. For us, no honorable mentions. The full 12, that's it. And then also the uh, purpose of this is to give people an idea of not just our tastes in movies, but also hopefully expose you to films you're not familiar with or haven't heard of before. To that end, we try to point you in one direction of what streaming opportunities there are for some of these films. Now, most of the time, 80% of the time, usually, our movies are not available to stream. But uh, when they are, we try to point you in the direction of Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and HBO Now. Um, We point in the direction of those because there's an endless amount of streaming sites and uh, we can't keep track of all of them. But a lot of the times you can rent movies on Amazon too. So keep that in mind. We will try to keep ours in mind and help you out in that sense. In this episode, we have a very special episode continuing on in correlation with the best of the 2010 series on the Gibson Review wherein we count down our favorite films genre by genre of the decade, looking back at the decade that is coming to a close. This episode, we're going to focus on F-rated movies. Now, Shanna, you and I kind of touched on the F-rated theme, where I think one of the only podcasts, at least on Stitcher, that touched on the F-rated theme back in episode 7 and I think 11 or 12 focusing on female directors, talking about our favorite F-rated films. Now, at that time, IMDb had just adopted the term F-rated movies, and we were just trying to figure it out. And and it got a little bit confused, right? Because what the actual qualifiers of an F-rated movie are, what, Shanna? Well, it has to be directed by a woman or written by a woman. That's right. Just those two things. Yeah. Right? One... (laughs) And or the other, right? And it's okay um, in the system if it had, like, say it had four writers and only one of them was a woman. That qualifies. So it qualifies. Technically, that qualifies. Yes. I will say that it did get a little muddy in our previous episode because we were going by IMDb's search term of F-rated. So that actually... There are a few picks in our picks there where it's just a female lead character and it's actually not at all created by women. So hopefully we're going to do this a second time in a way covering this topic and hopefully it'll be a much clearer and more helpful guide and less less confusing for people, yeah? So uh, the thing is about the, the example that you just mentioned about how there can be multiple writers and one of them being a woman uh, that could be a little bit dodgy because what if a woman took a pass on a script, you know, uh, did a draft, and two other scriptwriters came in succession since then and completely altered the script in many different ways? 
Well, it can be hard to tell what really was the contribution that one screenwriter made to the script, right? Yeah. So we kind of made a guideline of trying to avoid most of those circumstances. But I think... So I have one of those circumstances. You do? Okay. Yeah. But uh, but uh, largely, we try to avoid it. So mostly, you'll find picks on our list that are directed by women at the very least, if not um, penned by a woman or a woman and a, and a co-writer. Shanna, all that said, helping us set up what F-rate it is for, the un- for those who are not initiated, what can you tell us about your list and your experience crafting your list? So I found that with my list, I have a lot of strong female characters. So I have several triple F-rated. So it looks like most of my films are taking place 2016 to 2018, with the exception of a couple in 2014. And, you know, you'll hear it when I say it. Any particular year you noticed was a standout among those? I think it's 2017. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. And 2018, it's like something opened up and allowed a lot to happen. Hashtag time's up, baby. (laughs) Fuck you all. So that's kind of what I'm seeing in this list. I'm seeing that it's, it's sometimes it's, you know, directed and written and acted by the person that I really, you know, like. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just writing or it's just directing. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, I have one film where there were like four writers and one was a woman. Unfortunately, this film that I'm talking about has a sequel coming and it looks like that writer left. Oh. I need to do more research before nice. I say anything more, nice but I'm tease. like I'm wondering what's going on there. I'm also wondering left. which movie this is. Oh, you don't know? No, let's okay. uh, let's let's get into your list. What's your number 12 pick for your favorite F-rated movie of the decade? My number 12 is Laggies. This is available on Netflix. It's from 2014. It is directed and it's directed by Lynn Shelton, which she's um, a native Seattleite. Is that what we say? Cool. Is it Seattle or is it more like PNW? Like, do we actually know where she's from? I don't know for sure, actually. She. What you need to know is she shoots this area really well and pretty authentically. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, Seattle native and has shot several films in the area. And you can always tell because she gets these little details right. Like retaining walls that turn yellow. The maple trees. The blue sky. That actually does happen. Uh, mostly in yeah. summer, but they do come out. It does you happen, know? Yep. It's also written by Andrea Seagal. So we've technically got a triple F rating here, given oh, yeah, what definitely. the character's like, too. Although sometimes I get confused because I'm like, well, does she pass the Bechdel test? And if she passes the Bechdel test, then I feel like it's even more, you know? Sure. But anyway. We'll, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. I know. This is why it's we're trying to keep it straight and narrow. This is the story of a woman played by Kira Knightley trying to make her own decisions for once. She has been inspired to do so, uh, you know, after, uh, you know, running into teenager Chloe Moritz's character. I love that her films show the complexity that happens as an adult. Are we uh, are we doing what we love? Are we happy? How do we get happy? How do we keep that? Uh, They're all human things and especially human faults. 
Um, she's really good at that. And I'm glad she makes movies like this and with great casts every time. Very cool. So that is Leggies. That's your number 12. Before I start my list, I will just kind of share a little bit about my struggle making struggle. This, this list. Because <laughs> I showed my wife films and then she put them on her list. So here's what happened. My initial list ended up actually having great overlap with your list. Uh, I think like three quarters overlap. So what I had to do was basically try to limit that as much as possible, take out like five or so movies off my list. And also, I didn't want to just repeat what is on the best of 2010s list. Also, which you'll find at thegibsonreview.com. So I had to come up with uh, my, with more films. Now the thing is, we we took into consideration over a hundred over a hundred F-rated films, and not all of them are great. But it's very easy to come up with your own list that's that's actually a list full of good films, right? So I had to try. I had some struggle with trying to craft mine. Because uh, there was an embarrassment of riches, so to speak, but also it was very easy to. I had to walk this line of not trying to repeat two other lists. So, what I landed on for my number 12 is on HBO Now. It's 2018's Oceans 8, which is a film directed by Gary Ross, but co written by Olivia Milch. And uh, written by Gary Ross as well. Now, this is a perfect example. If you listen, if you're a longtime listener of the Gibson Review, or the movie lovers, I should say, of a movie having zero interest, uh, you know, I'm having zero interest in actually surprising me and actually being enjoyable. I like this film quite a bit. It's got an incredible cast of characters with Mindy Kaling. Sandra Bullock, Aquafina, Rihanna, and Sarah Paulson. I think there's someone else I'm forgetting that's in there, but obviously there's eight people. Very bubbly, very fun. Up there with the best of the Oceans films. I would say up there with the, the first Oceans film. Uh, nothing serious, nothing like significant, I should say, of a, any great substance, but enjoyable, right? And... This is a film that I actually wouldn't mind watching again sometime soon. Ocean's 8, my number 12 favorite F-rated movie of the decade from 2018 on HBO Now. As you say, very cool. Number 11 That's for like, me. All right. <laughs> number 11 for me is Wonder Woman from 2017 by Patty Jenkins. Wait, 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 wait a minute. This is your number 11 film, F-rated film. This is shocking. This is shocking. <sighs> This is Wonder Woman, and it's your number 11. Is Wonder Woman even on your list? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. I'm excited to hear what the rest of your list is. Okay, super. <laughs> the reason Wonder Woman is at 11 is because of what I'm about to say. Most of my list becomes, you know, uh, 2018, 2017 here. There's a couple exceptions. But it's as if Wonder Woman and Patty Jenkins kind of opened a door to mm. allow more of these movies to kind of burst on the scene. Usually when something gets created, there's like a longer process. It's like, you know, it takes like three years to make a movie. So something shifted and, you know, these films were possible. 
Wonder Woman, we all know that it's about the the heroine from the Amazon and she just has super strength, super she's just awesome. I don't really know what else to tell you guys. Yeah, so, superhero character, yep. Um and what's great is it shows a woman embracing the power of her emotions mm. to achieve what she needs to. And that's really special to me. My number 11. Is it Wonder Woman? No. <laughs> no, I think it might surprise you, though. It is Mimi Leaders on the Basis of Sex from 2018. Wherein Felicity Jones plays Ruth Bader Ginsburg and is preparing for his trial wherein a man is discriminated against on the basis of sex. And I we talked about this film because it came out in late 2018. We talked about this film a couple months back. And I definitely liked the film more than you did. Because I found the preparation for the case quite fascinating. I found Felicity Jones' performance quite, quite lovely and quite good. Um, and I thought it was interesting how it was showing like all these people on the outside trying to affect change on the streets. And here is this woman trying to affect change through the court system. So I think it's a slightly underrated film. I don't think it got very much praise. And I think uh, it's it's deserving of a second look. Uh, give it a chance. On the Basis of Sex, from 2018, my number 11 favorite F-rated movie of the decade. Jenna, what's your number 10? My number 10 is the one I was talking about. Crazy Rich Asians, available to stream on HBO from 2018 with writer Adele Lim. It's based on the book by Kevin Kwan, and it is a romantic comedy. It's like a romantic comedy done right mm. and just just beautiful. And, uh, you know, we rented this movie when it was the snowstorm, I think, oh. and uh, you were sick too. So it was like, right, yeah. uh, it was our first, it was the first snowstorm of two. And you fell asleep. And so we just watched it again, which we never do. We never watch something twice in a row. Mm. So it was very exciting for me to watch it a second time because it's just so rich in the relationships uh, between everyone. It's like, a, I think it's like a family of like two kids here, three kids there. Everyone's connected. You mm. know, the cousins, the aunts, the uncles are there. And I love Constance Wu and everyone else in this film. And I, I can't wait for the sequel and uh, to find out why Adele Lim left. So I, I, I think I remember what you're talking about. And I believe pay parody was the reason why she left. Wow, if I'm not, really? If I'm not mistaken, uh, despite the efforts of the other writer trying to, um, trying to, well, despite his efforts, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, I love that film. Infectious. It's so funny. So fun. It's so cute. One of my favorites, too. Very uh, very awesome pick. Um, however, my number 10 is 2013's, I think, directorial debut by Lake Bell, who also wrote In a World, <laughs> which is this... 
largely overlooked indie comedy about a voice actor competition trying to bring back the in a world trailer type thing uh that oh darn the guy who originated it i forget his name his name said a lot in the movie uh that he originated and all these voice actors are up for trying to get the job to be the new person lake bell is the main character in a wonderful cast that includes Fred Melamed as her father. He's a fantastic guy. If you've seen a single man, you know how awesome and hilarious he can be. There's a, a lot of other people in here. Tig Notaro is in there. Dimitri Martin has a part. A lot of a lot of uh, fun comedians and actors. And it's just an enjoyable little film that kind of handles lightly some gender um issues in certain fields of work too also the frustrations that can come as a voice actor as well i recommend checking out in a world from 2013 by lake bell it's my 10th favorite f-rated movie of the decade my number nine is triple f-rated very exciting just like in a world yeah (laughs) it's two days in new york very cool. Directed and written by Julie Delpy, also written by Alex, Alexia, Alexei, Alexei, I don't know, uh, Alexei Landu. Sounds good to me. <laughs> it doesn't matter which country your family is from, they all act freaking crazy in some way or another when they come to visit you in America. Because I think they feel a sense of freedom and happiness at the same time. They're visiting you, but they're also in a different, you know, world. Mm. So this can seem crazy to your spouse or lover. Yes. Who is American. Yes. Because they are only seeing you and you've already like adapted and climatized to America. Mm. And the family hasn't. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that the spouse or lover thinks that they're just going to get more of you. But really, you're not. You're going to get the pre-you. <laughs> that they know and now they see where you come from and it's like oh shit like do we go further with this so chris rock and judy delpy are the cutest couple ever i want to i want to see them in more films i wish yeah. this had a sequel because i love their relationship and who they are judy is dealing with a lot of things being 38 trying to figure out life she has a uh she's also just lost her mother i think like it's like four or two years ago so there's time but you know when you lose a parent it's it doesn't matter and so now there's a feud with the sister because the sister is taking care of the father who is the sad dad and you know other stuff that she goes through that won't be spoiled it's cute it's funny it's adorable i am not french but south africans have their own cultural shocks i love how julie sweetly sweetly directs with unique humor in her movies. Yes, that is a very good and very funny movie. Itself is a sequel of sorts to Two Days in Paris, which uh, you were not. <laughs> and that's as what big happens a fan. when you take an American and put him in France. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty funny. My number nine favorite F-rated movie of the decade is Revenge, the French film from 2018. I love that film. This film is written and directed by Coralie Fargett, 
who is not someone I'm familiar with. We've talked a lot about this movie. It's though. why it's not on my list, because <laughs> I mention it every time. Yeah, well, and, you know, it left it open for me to be able to pick, and I had to, <laughs> <laughs> because I do actually love and enjoy this uh, film. It is quite the thriller. Uh, Matilda Lutz is remarkable she's incredibly sexy she's very she has this incredible evolution about her she's not afraid to get the corn syrup all over her you know she's not afraid of the gore which actually i think a lot of the gore has more to do with her than anybody else and this is a gory very bloody film but if you it's quite delicious to oh. sit through you, oh, yeah. you have to you have to get through it because it's worth it it is absolutely worth it. Yes, it is a, quite the thriller. And I think I would venture to guess quite the release for women, too, in some ways, of uh, against toxic masculinity, too. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, telling male gays to f- and male toxicity to fuck off. <laughs> so. And I'll leave it at that. That's my uh, number nine favorite F-rated movie of the decade, Revenge from 2018. My number eight is Gone Girl from 2014. I feel like this film also allowed a couple things to happen because it was it was just one of those, you know, when you can tell that this film allowed this to happen. Yeah, blah, it was blah, blah. a huge. It made a huge impact, right? Yeah, that mm-hmm. that word. So, <laughs> the you know the it's based on the book by Gillian Flynn and uh, the the screenplay is done by Gillian so it's it's pretty pretty cool. I think you say Gillian, right? I think that's how I've heard her name pronounced. I'm very it's, sorry. It's one of those weird names where it depends on the person. Okay, this is just this is of this film is about a man's wife gone missing. Mm-hmm. And everything is not as it seems. She's gone, girl. Yeah, she's gone. So uh, it it it's very intellectual mm. in that it's it's talking about male problems, toxicity, patriarchy, in a very intelligent way, and it's it's also embracing the crazy ass woman uh, character, mm. which is very important because you know what, a woman isn't just a mother at home a woman doesn't just get to be a grandmother in movies she gets to be the crazy bitch too and it it's kind of like you've just talked about revenge so your revenge my revenge is gone girl all right fair yeah. enough we will keep mum uh any further in case anybody hasn't seen that because that is a very twisty film for sure but a fine pick which you may hear about on the gibsonreview.com my next pick, my number eight, is Nicole Holof Center's Enough Said from 2013. You love that film. I do love the film. I did try to keep it off my list, but... Are you uh, going to blame me again? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. I, let's just say it was, it was a you know, challenge, so I, you know, I had to include it. Uh, I only tried to keep it off because I do feel like I've talked about it quite a bit through this podcast. But it is a very fine film. I watched the trailer again. The film stars James Gandolfini and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I apologize, as kind of a middle-aged romance uh, film. It's made only more complicated by the fact that Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays a massage therapist. One of her clients is James Gandolfini's ex, played by Catherine Keener. 
who's very acidic <laughs> in this film. Which is totally what women have to deal with, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's lovely. It's one of James Gandolfini's last roles. And it's it's so... If you just know him from The Sopranos, you should really see Enough Said and see a kind of a, another softer and uh, lovely side to him. And humorous, too. He cracks some jokes in here. But Nicole Hall of Center's films are always very unique and, and a little um, layered. And so, yeah, I, I really enjoy Enough Said from 2013. My number seven is Triple F Rated. Oh. It is The Farewell from 2019. Oh, really? Yeah. This is uh, written and directed by Lulu Wang. And it's a real life story that it's it's her real life story. This is a film about Chinese culture, specifically dealing with uh, grandma being diagnosed with cancer and how they're not going to tell grandma that she's been diagnosed because the diagnosis says, oh, you have three months to live. So their approach is to not allow grandma to die from the fear of the disease Mm. uh, and just to live life as normally as possible the female members in this family are fierce and just totally real totally relatable there's so much respect shown uh in the filming of this when characters are having these private moments trying to work through their emotions um the way the camera is handled the way that certain shots are 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 done is is all sort of related to you know respecting the culture and uh, following through with things but one of the big things that i relate to is um the loss of grandma or the idea of the loss of grandma um, especially if you're in a different country and not able to really do anything. So, uh, this is a really wonderful film. It stars... Aquafina. Aquafina, one of my favorite. Uh, and everybody should watch this. That was a very fine film and a fine pick. My number seven is 2010's film by Deborah Granick, who I believe she wrote and directed, if I'm not mistaken... Winter's Bone, which we have to thank for giving us Jennifer Lawrence, who ended up being a big player this decade. Not not that Winter's Bone was a huge splash commercially or anything. It was really more a critical success, a cinephile success, as people kind of discovered it. Film lovers discovered it. This is a very murky, very, very good thriller, mystery thriller. Jennifer Lawrence plays a teenager who lives in the Ozarks. She just wants out. She wants to... She knows there's something more. But she's always having to look after her siblings. Her mom is like virtually catatonic, kind of totally mentally checked out. Her dad, who is MIA, uh, often in trouble with the law, turns out... He's MIA to the point where the law comes and says, if your dad doesn't show up to this court date, then the law, then we take the house. So she goes on this mystery trying to find her dad. Well, where is he? What happened to him? Whatever. And it is a such a cool, remarkable 
country thriller and and, uh, and uh, I've always been a big fan of Winter's Bone and Champion and I'm going to champion it here again Shanna you always. got to see it and learn about it because of me mm-hmm. you're welcome oh <laughs> wow <laughs> uh Granick has uh, is one of those directors who has a hard time making being able to get films financed so she hasn't made a lot this decade but of what she has made uh, leave no traces is a good example i think this is her best work and um it's worth checking out you know if you're interested in films that kind of focus on people on the fringes of society uh and a really darn good yarn winter's bone from 2010 that is available on Netflix. My number six is Ghostbusters from 2016. And it is F-rated because of the awesome characters. And the writer... I was going to say the writers, right? The writer, Katie DePolt. Is she the only writer on that one? She's the only woman. Oh, wow. Okay. I believe. Oh, wow. I don't think I missed something. If I did, I'm sorry. No, you're probably right. I just, for whatever reason, thought there was like three women who wrote that thing. I wish that there were more mm. of these. I wish that there was at least one at least one more because I thoroughly enjoyed this Ghostbusters. All, you know, it's like my fantasy come true because I grew up watching Ghostbusters, but there were no female Ghostbusters, and the only woman was a secretary, and it's like, well, that's not... And then, you know, love interest, so that's not really helpful to me. Mm. And so when I... Whenever I see Holtzman swing that proton pack, the way she swings it and, like, totally is into it, I just burst into tears, because I'm like, that, yes, that is what... I want. I'm like cheering you from the inside out. And all these women are really funny and are really caring for each other and women, you know, and none of their jokes are sexist. So it's awesome. There's maybe one that's racist. There's one that's racist. But um, mostly this is a great film. Holtzman is a badass. That is yeah. for sure. We are at the halfway point in the list. And my number six favorite F-rated movie of the decade is Megan Levy from 2017, available on Amazon Prime. Megan Levy is another little-known film. This one's starring Kate Mara, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Kate Mara, as a uh, marine, I believe, who gets assigned a dog for uh, bomb searches during the war in Afghanistan. And it's about her training that dog and her eventual relationship with that dog, serving, serving with that dog. It's it's like the dog is another a fellow uh, soldier, you know. It's oh directed by I should point out Gabriella Calperthwaite, who, if I'm not mistaken, also directed the chilling documentary Blackfish. Both of these films are definitely worth checking out. I will not spoil anything about the story with regards to either main character and their fate, but I do think like it is a fine film that is greatly overlooked and deserves some more attention. That's Megan Levy, available on Amazon Prime from 2017. This is one of my absolute favorite films. 
Uh, my number five is Band-Aid. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> it's uh, available for streaming on Netflix. It's from 2017. It's written and directed and stars Zoe Lister-Jones. So we have a really cool triple F rating there. This is such a true story, such a beautiful story about a couple that are trying to heal from an incident they faced. They're having a hard time overcoming it and their couples therapist is moving to Canada. So they are forced to figure out an alternative solution. They start singing about their feelings and their fights and annoyances of each other as a way to sort of soften the blow, but also get the best out of each other. Because after all, when marriage happens, we're choosing that person to grow with. Zoe Lister needs to make more films because I think she makes the most beautiful films. I think they're so true and honest. I just want more of her stuff. Like, mm -hmm. please give her whatever she needs <laughs> to support her in this career. Agreed. My number five is my first of two films that overlap with the Best of 2010s article, I believe. It is 2011's Bridesmaids, which was written by Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo, directed by Paul Feig. And this is his biggest hit and most iconic comedy of the decade i mean everybody thinks of the the bridal shop the, the the dress shop scene and that's completely understandable but for me what's really special about this film is that relationship that core relationship between maya rudolph and Kristen wig in the film you know i really think that's what the movie's really all about is this relationship between two women and how one of them, Kristen Wiig, is threatened by the other friends that that this close friend Maya Rudolph has, you know, and and the fact that Maya Rudolph's character is getting married and she's she's like afraid of not being able to have what they have anymore, you know, the friendship will change. I think that's really special. I think that's really great. I don't think that's something that we see very often in films or very or done very well in films. And Bridesmaids is one of the best at it, while also being hilarious. And Kristen Wiig is is hilarious in this film, as is, of course, Melissa McCarthy, who, you know, she'd been around before, but this was kind of her breakout film and a breakout decade. We saw a lot from Melissa McCarthy after this film, thanks to this film. And she is hilarious. The way she plays off her real-life husband, Ben Falcone, <laughs> is great, in too. In every movie yeah. that well, she's in. <laughs> especially this one. Uh, but, yeah, I absolutely love it. Rose Byrne stars and shows off her comedic chops. She's fantastic in it, as is everybody else. So that's Bridesmaids from 2011, my fifth favorite F-rated movie of the decade. Shano, what is your fourth favorite F-rated movie of the decade? My number four is from 2018. No surprise. It's Tully, available to stream on HBO, written by Diablo Cody and starring Charlize Theron, who is pregnant with her third child. She isn't as young as she was with the previous two, and I don't think we get a detail of how old she is, uh, unless you remember something. Uh, I think she's depicted as being in her late 30s, early okay. 40s, yeah. Yeah. So this is a really good portrait of motherhood. And the utter isolation felt with having to care for the new baby and other kiddos too. 
the judgment others put on you, the mistakes you might make, the utter defeat felt, the little moments of achievement, and the (laughs) the phone dropping on the kid's face, the exhaustion, the fear of motherhood, the 100% mothers give. I mean... A night nanny comes eventually to help make things more balanced. The way this film is shot is so beautiful. There are tiny details like little Lego bits all over, you know, like a little bit here on the table, a little bit here on the floor, on the carpet. It's just, and then dropping a phone on the sleeping baby. I mean, it happens just like, you know, that meme that goes around. Doesn't matter what you believe in. We've all bashed our kid's head trying to put them in the car. Hmm. So I... I want more films like this for sure because I feel like it's something that we don't see enough of and if anything once we see it it helps us verbalize our fears of becoming a mother to try and avoid certain things or at least approach them a little better. Very cool. My fourth favorite F-rated movie of the decade is in theaters right now and it could use your love Blinded by the Light 2019 by Grunda Chata. Nice. I, I was just like, it's my second favorite movie of this year. Also, it just just hit me on every emotional level. I mean, it didn't anger me. It didn't piss me off. I just, it felt so much joy and it really moved me as well in surprising ways. You know, I, we talked about it earlier in the Week in Review segment of this episode you know, it also helps that I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Yeah. Uh, so a movie that basically is a Valentine to Springsteen's music is totally my jam, and they don't and and they don't mess it up. <laughs> you know, it's not it does it avoids being really formulaic, terribly formulaic, or feeling that way. And I don't know what what, what more I could say about it. I mean, I I really want people to go see this movie. And share with us what they thought of it. Especially if you're a fan of Chada's other work, most notably Bennett like Beckham and Bride and Prejudice. Which, which is my favorite. We have championed Gruta Chada many times on this podcast. Uh, and here's one more for you. Blinded by the Light, my fourth favorite F-rated movie of the decade from 2019. My number three is available on Netflix from 2014. Director Jillian Robespierre and writers including her Karen Maine, Elizabeth Holm, Anna Bean with this being based on the short film by Anna Bean. Oh cool. Okay. This is definitely a triple F rated film. It is Obvious Child. Yes. One that Jeff got upset about getting on my list because I loved it so much after he showed it to me. I had to cut it out of my <laughs> list. There'd be just, yeah. Well, I how ha- about you talk about it too? Okay, but first let me go. Yes, please go. Please I think go. it's funny I have this one after mentioning Tully, and you'll see why. Part of putting together this list is all about trying to include the complexities and realities that women in particular are faced with, but being shown it in a compassionate story. Hey, did you ever wonder how it felt to experience blah, blah, blah. Well, with this one, we experience the emotions, decision-making of having an abortion experience. It's true to the experience and it makes you feel all the emotions It made me cry. It also made me laugh because it turns out that our main character is a stand-up comedian. 
so I wasn't laughing at the abortion part, just to be clear. <laughs> I was laughing at everything else. She <laughs> She's very funny. She goes through a breakup, meets a great guy, and now she's going to deal with this decision that she has to make. Yeah. There are so many surprises in this film, and I feel like if anyone wanted to know what that was like, go ahead and watch this, because three women talk specifically about abortion their abortion experiences and you get a bigger picture because you see the clinic of all these people yes this is if uh, there's an hbo movie called if these walls could talk i was about abortion this is if that movie were a comedy and featured a comedian you don't need to hear me talk about this more i love it we've talked i've talked about it twice before on the podcast so i'm just really really chuffed with the uh, fact that it's so high on your list. so um, It makes it worth it, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That you didn't get to have it. Absolutely. My, what am I on? I'm on my... Number three. Three. Third favorite F-rated film of the decade is on Amazon Prime. And the next three films, you know, there's something to be said about 2017. Because my next three picks are all from 2017 fantastic year i think of this decade the big sick is my third favorite (laughs) co-written by emily gordon and kumail nanjiani i think directed by michael showalter if i'm not mistaken of i my hello my name is doris and other films this is one of those movies where i just can't stop watching it it's absolutely lovely Emily Gordon seems to have contributed on the script, not so much on the comedian side of the film, not so much on the, uh, I think, Pakistani family side of things, but the other aspects with with the parents played by Ray Romano, Holly Hunter, and, and other aspects of the script as near as I can tell. Holly Hunter is always the mom I want to be, no matter what. She's, she's in great in the film. So is Ray Romano. Everybody really is spectacular. Zoe Kazan, Camille uh, Nanjiani, just fantastic film. It's it's lovely. It you know some people might call it a romantic comedy. If it is, it's a very original take on the romantic comedy subgenre. But uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it, and um, I'm glad it's out there. It's my third favorite F-rated movie of the decade. And I think, I think you could find it on Amazon Prime. Woohoo! So, number two for me is 2019's Book Smart by director Olivia Wilde, writers, there's like a lot of them Emily Halpern, Sarah Hankins, Susanna Farr. Yeah, there's like four writers, that female writers. Fogel. So. Susanna Fogel, Katie Silberman. And it's triple F rated. You betcha. <laughs> it's starring Caitlin De- uh, Dever, who was also in Laggies. Mm-hmm. And Beanie Felton. Feldstein. Uh, Feldstein, uh, who was also in Ladybird. So you've That's got right. these two really awesome female characters breaking out, doing their own thing. So first off, this trailer starts with like a few seconds in, it mentions vagina. <laughs> and, it, and then it talks about female masturbation. All in the first 30 seconds of the trailer. the So you have totally got me. Like, I will totally <laughs> watch it because we never get to talk about that stuff ever in film. The film is about two girls in high school who got into the colleges they wanted, but after all the studying and hard work, they forgot 
to party. And can they? They put the whole of high school partying into one night. And man, it's a freaking awesome ride. From drama students party to forgotten to um, unlikable sweet rich kid party to the big one they wanted to everything in between. The friendship is amazingly loving and beautiful. And there is a lot of care of each of the kids and they just seem so free. And I'm like, you bitches. <laughs> like, this looks great. Their performances are so perfect and real. Olivia Wilde needs to make more films like this. I will watch anything this woman does. So prepare to get consensually bashed. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that film too. Uh, great pick. My second favorite F-rated film is the first one to overlap with your list and the second film to overlap with the best of the 2010 series. I could not under any circumstances, take this off my list, leave it out whatsoever. It is 2017's Band-Aid by Zoe Lister-Jones available on Netflix. I, we watched this film and I absolutely cannot express how much I love zoe lister jones i second third fourth fifth your statement that she needs to make more films it is yeah whatever she needs i mean we'll help crowdfund for her i know right <laughs> like that's the thing like this film criminally got overlooked to the sum total of five percent of the film's budget absurd you know we love championing films like this this is the ultimate, practically the ultimate F-rated film in a way as the entire crew was also a uh, film, or was also film, was also female. Uh, it has a fantastic story. Adam Pelly is great playing off of Zoe Lister-Jones as her, her husband. Fred Armisen is fantastic as this somewhat socially awkward neighbor who's got his own things going on. He, but he joins the band as the drummer. Uh, I just, I just absolutely adore this film. I'm glad it's on Netflix, and I order, I compel you, listener, to jump on Netflix and watch it now before it leaves, and before, then buy it. If before you miss it, you will thank us. That is Band Aid, my second favorite F-rated film of the decade. My number one is 2017's <gasps> Lady Bird. Lady Bird, ah! Yeah, right, written and directed by Greta Gerwig. Again, I will watch whatever this woman makes. I recommend the trailer because that will show you the complexity and amazingness of this film. Mm. You are going to see the complexity of the mother-daughter relationship. And man, if, if you're one of those, you know what kind of a true roller coaster that ride is. We run from... You're infuriating to, hey, mom, when is a good time to have sex? Not only uh, that, we see the craziness of being a teenage girl, dealing with what school, what career, how about sex, what am I, what am I about, who am I going to be? It's nothing surface level. Mm. These are all deep questions that we're trying to figure out at that age, uh, so high school senior. It 
it's all deep, it's all true, which is why I'm talking about it so much. The mother trying to protect her household and provide for them, all her sacrifices and hours and hours she misses out with her family that she wants to actually be with, is so real and doesn't get talked about quite in this way. It gets talked about, especially on a surface level, but it never gets quite depicted in this way. All the women in this film are amazingly real, they love the love that they have for each other, the becoming themselves from the best friend to the temporary friend to the sister teacher, uh, you know, the nun teacher yeah, the nun, to yeah. the, the guidance counselor <laughs> the, uh, to the, the sister-in-law, essentially. Uh, that's pretty much what they are. There are a lot of women in this film filling different roles that women do in the real world. And it's amazing to see. Awesome. Great pick. Great film. My number one favorite F-rated movie of the decade is the second film to overlap with yours. Is it Wonder Woman? It is 2017's <laughs> Patty Jenkins film, Wonder Woman. Oh, it is? It is. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, no, like Band-Aid, I could not leave this off my list because they were my two favorite F-rated films of the decade. Wonder Woman was just just so badass for me as well i might have been moved to tears in certain scenes of that film too the everybody i mean like come on now the no man's land sequence is one of an amazing sequence it's one of the most iconic of the decade when people think of wonder woman they think of that sequence when people think of um of woman in film f-rated movies whatever like they think of Eventually, at some point, they, they, they definitely think of Wonder Woman, if not that sequence. I, I think of it pretty quickly, too, you know? Uh, yes, the villain is not great. The Badly th- cast. Yes, the third act isn't the best. But I contend that Wonder Woman is just like Iron Man from 2008 in that sense, where you have a very strong three quarters of a film that devolves into comic book villainy in the last um, act, you know? Uh, I don't think Wonder Woman's any different than than Iron Man in that sense. I can gush over it. I can't wait till next year's Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, So, you know, hopefully I'll be able to gush over that as well. But yes, Wonder Woman. My favorite F-rated movie of the decade. But that might do it for our list of F-rated movies of the decade. Thank goodness we got this behind us finally. Cause that was that was this very This is one tough. of my favorite topics. It is one of our favorite topics, absolutely. But a huge challenge for me to, to kind of finesse and try to curate because like, there's so much good material out there to choose from. So because of that, we're curious what your favorite F-rated movies of the decade are. Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Shannon, before we talk about the next episode, let everybody know where they can find you online. I will let you know where you can find me online. Don't be a jerk. It's at Instagram. So we're going to do Shanna underscore Paxton, S-H-A-N-N-A underscore P-A-X-T-O-N. See you there. Awesome. Be nice. Always be nice, be kind, be constructive. TheGibsonReview.com, you'll find everything on there. Go to uh, social media, Facebook, 
slash the Gibson.com, the Gibson review, I mean. Uh, you'll find all of our links there, third party links as well. Go to Instagram slash the Gibson 99. Then you'll find me there with movie related content on there. I try to post an occasional story with a poll. Check that out. Go to PayPal. Feel free to send a dollar or two our way to help offset the costs of the podcast, the movie subscriptions, the website, etc., etc. Flick chart, the Gibson 99. You can use that moniker also to find me there and see my list of the theatrically released films I have seen. I think that's everything. Uh, go to SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts to find more episodes. Hit subscribe, hit a review where uh, applicable. All that said, the next episode of The Movie Lovers will be a main review of James Gray's Ad Astra starring Brad Pitt. Plus, we will finish up pretty much our year-by-year look at the decade of the 80s with 1980 and 81. This is the second time we're joining two years into one. We'll explain why again. Um, Or you can listen to our 82-83 episode as to reasons why we're combining years into one episode. But I'm looking forward to that. We're currently watching movies from those years to kind of see what's going to make our lists. And so that'll be fun to have that knocked out and kind of go through what we came up with, too. I know I'm very curious about Shanna's list. So look for that episode. I am curious about mine, too. (laughs) (laughs) Look for that episode October 1. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye.